The Trinkleed's brutal ending leaves us completely devastated. Its raging violence is ample indication of the nature and strength of the negative forces that threaten to nullify life's value. Coming after such raging fury, the Herbst movement should have a calming effect, despite its expression of profound loneliness. The life-weary resignation and hopelessness it conveys seem an understandable reaction to the wounds inflicted upon the human spirit in the Trinklead. Frightened by its graveyard scene, the singer, now representing a different aspect of the human spirit, is overcome by the burden it imposes on her soul. She realizes how completely alone and lacking support she truly is. All that she can do is wait for the end. At least her suffering and torment will finally be put to rest. Yet as in the first song of Kintototenlieder, there are moments when the grayish clouds that hover over most of the movement give way to momentary sunlight, and the singer's despair is relieved for a time by a ray of hope. Inevitably, the world-weary opening returns, and the faint glimmer of hope fades to misty gloom. Even a sudden burst of sunlight before the closing coda is all too fleeting, nothing but the memory of lost love that suddenly elicits passion from the tired soul, drowning in loneliness. The mood here recalls Ich bin der Welt abandon gekommen in its daydream-like atmosphere and benumbed melancholy that reflect complete alienation from earthly concerns. Another Rickard leader, Um Mitternacht, also has a relationship with the Herbst movement in the former's frequent use of ascending and descending scales that serve here as principal thematic material for the latter. Ostinato accompaniment of meandering figuration in violins recalls das irdische Leben, although the urgency generated thereby in the latter is absent here. Now the underlying figuration simply floats aimlessly in stepwise motion like a fluid stream, recalling the timelessness evoked by the motive of the Norn's rope of destiny in De Geta Demerung. References to the denuding of nature's beauty in the first two strophes are objectively descriptive in contrast with the personal confessions of the last two strokes. As in the Trinklied movement and throughout the eighth, Mahler relates words or phrases of the text to musical motives that take on symbolic meaning by the connection. For example, the words, Mein Herz ist müde, my heart is weary, function as a corollary of the phrase, mild aufzutrocknen, to tenderly dry the singer's bitter tears. By being set to the same musical phrase, Mahler brings back this motivic figure with the chill of its falling minor second, the motive of woe, in the finale, where it is sung to the words, die müde Menschen, expressing emotional exhaustion. Thus he relates the symbolic use of the German word for weary in both contexts. Composed of various cellular figures, the thematic material and its accompaniment seem to drift by like fragments of thoughts the singer has no energy left to fully express. The principal theme begins on a falling second, the motive of farewell, that would be more likely to end a phrase than start one. It continues in mostly stepwise motion that wanders aimlessly, occasionally shifting among major, minor, and modal harmonies, reinforcing a sense of timelessness and instability. 
In contrast with the inflamed bitterness and stark terror of the first movement, the musical expression is delicate, tender, and sensitive. The fiery red of the trinklied is transformed to smoldering gray, its dramatic force spent, its raging intensity diffused, and its energies depleted. Swaying rhythms, recalling their appearance in the Nietzsche movement of the third symphony, are here reconfigured as quarter note triplets. They reinforce the nebulous aura projected in this music, in which ghostly visions from the past force us to remember an earlier warning, Gib Acht, that emerged out of the depths of life's tragic fate in the Nietzsche movement of the Third Symphony. This swaying counter-rhythm will appear again in Der Abschied, where it creates a feeling of weightlessness and rhythmic instability. There, as here, it connotes Nietzsche's concept of the pathos of distance, the feeling of aloneness felt by all higher spirits. The orchestration is substantially reduced from that of the trinklied. Small ensembles create a chamber music effect that befits both the theme of loneliness and the intimate nature of the poetry. An oboe carries the main theme, which is never stated in the voice, recalling Ich bin der Welt. The vocal line consists primarily of permutations and extensions of the scalar phrase contained in the oboe theme that wanders aimlessly as if encapsulated in a vague dream world. Motivic elements are used economically, yet form an important part of the thematic material. The falling major second with which the oboe theme begins is taken from the first movement, where it was most often used as a phrase ending. Here it represents an expression of farewell. Used now at the beginning of the theme, and later isolated from it, the farewell motive foreshadows the avis with, with which the symphony ends. A falling major second is used prophetically, sung to the opening words of the Third Symphony's Nietzsche movement on Gib Acht. During the development section of the Herbst movement and on the very last line of text before the final coda, this movement reverts to a falling minor second, the motive of woe, particularly fitting for the words to which it is sung. As in Trinklied, the motive of longing also plays an important role, but the rising three notes with which it begins are inverted and forced to descend in keeping with the melancholy mood of the music, thus implying the converse of longing, resignation. The pentatonic motto DCA that pervades the movement sounds as if it were in the Lydian mode. Herb's structure combines strophic and sonata form, as in Trinklied. However, in the former, the lines of demarcation between exposition, development, and recapitulation are less obvious. In both movements, the text can be broken down into four strophes. The exposition contains the first two, the development the third, and the recapitulation the fourth, with the coda based upon the opening prelude. Mahler's use of telescoping creates a seamless progression by compressing musical material. Structural continuity is broken just before the coda when the orchestra suddenly bursts out with a flood of E-flat major on waves of string arpeggios that recalls a similar moment during the slow movement of the fourth symphony in which a sudden massive orchestral outburst of E major dispelled the serene atmosphere. This orchestral eruption is much briefer than in the fourth symphony's adagio 
and does not have its Brucknerian heaven-storming quality. It gives way to a passionate expression of suffering that contradicts the feeling of hope that we might well expect to be generated by such a surge of E-flat major. During the closing measures, the music sinks back to the same hopeless resignation with which the movement began. The opening orchestral prelude begins quietly with meandering figuration in muted violins that serves as slow, undulating accompaniment for most of the music in the first part of the exposition, the A section. An oboe enters with the principal theme, a somber but gloomy lament that recalls the melancholy musings of the oboe theme in Ich bin der Welt, Abandon Gekommen. As mentioned above, the theme's first part consists of cellular phrases that begin with the farewell motive and continue with a series of single-bar phrases that contain a dotted rhythmic figure that either falls or rises by a fourth. Its rhythmic configuration recalls the dotted rhythm of the pectora motive from the Eighth Symphony, while its melodic contour can includes rising or falling fourths and falling seconds that are characteristically Malarian. The theme's second part introduces quarter-note scalar figures that are taken from the winding string figuration. Each of these elements separates from the theme as the movement progresses for independent motivic treatment. Ornamental grace notes give the theme an oriental flavoring. Undulating hemiolaic rhythm from the Nietzsche movement of the Third Symphony conjures up a sense of mystery, a feeling of being beyond time. An opaque atmosphere beclouds the music with a faint iridescence that elicits a discomforting feeling of vagueness. The singer seems bemused and world-weary, as if lost in the world, without the love, dream, and song that made aloneness bearable in Ich bin der Welt. A sudden tremor on a D major chord in horns shakes her out of her reverie, and the oboe once again begins its lament. Curiously, the opening sounds remarkably similar to the beginning of Act I of Mussorgsky's Boris Gudnov, which Mahler may have heard during his visit to St. Petersburg several years before he wrote Das Lied. First, we'll hear the excerpt from Boris Gudnov. Now the opening of the Herbst movement.
The singer enters when the clarinet takes over the main theme. For the first two strophes, most of the vocal line consists of ascending and descending scales, akin to those appearing in Um Mitternacht. But here they sound more sullen than mysterious, especially when sung against the mournful main theme. Metric shifts in succeeding measures react to the stretching of the melodic line. After the first two lines of the first strophe, the tonality shifts from the opening D minor to B-flat major, and the tempo becomes more fleeting. Removing their mutes, the cellos quietly but expressively present a new theme that seems to sound a note of hopefulness. It begins with the dotted rhythmic cell from the principal theme and contains the twisting four-note motive Der Tages Churn from the fourth Kintertotenlieder. That not only gives the impression of renewal of the life impulse, but prefigures its later appearance during the E-flat orchestral outburst before the coda. Oboes and clarinets make it clear that this change of heart is not really authentic by inverting the Der Tages Churn motive and preceding it with an inversion of the longing motive that here implies resignation. On this melodic phrase, the singer returns for the second two lines of the first strophe. Although at first she seems to join in the more positive sentiments of the cello theme, she quickly sinks back into depression with the wandering scales from the first part of the strophe. This causes the music to revert back to the opening mood that now sounds wearier than before as it lumbers along under the weight of meandering string figuration and the Nietzsche undulating rhythm. Once more, the melodic line wanders up and down the scale, aimlessly shifting back and forth between minor and major harmonies. After the end of the first strophe, an oboe paraphrases the Dunkel refrain from the Trinklied movement and anticipates the musical phrase sung to the words Der Blumen ist verflogen, in the second strophe, which begins in telescopic fashion as the oboe concludes. Here is the first strophe. With the return of D minor, 
the singer re-enters for the second part of the exposition, the B section, which begins with a variation of the first subject. Once again, the B-flat major cello theme breaks in, this time in violas and bassoons, with cellos and horns providing an outline of the theme. The theme is displaced even more quickly than before by the return of the first subject, this time played hesitatingly. For the third line of the second strophe, the singer begins with the descending scale to which he sang the first words of the song. At the bottom of the scale, the farewell motive is emphatically repeated three times. An arch-like three-note figure from the main theme is now treated like an independent motive, with its intervals undergoing various permutations. Just as the singer moves toward a cadence, first violins enter in a slightly pressed tempo, with the same phrase that inverts the motives of longing and der Tages Schern, which was played by oboes and clarinets to usher in the main tempo for the second half of the first strophe. Here it is rendered, as Mahler directs, with tender passion, on arching waves of triplets that emerge from each grouping of the strings in sequence. Thus begins an orchestral codetta to the exposition. It reaches a stirring climax in mid-measure as the violins suddenly leap upward to a high C natural and swell to fortissimo, after which cellos enter with a forceful thrust that brings back the undulating Nietzsche rhythm. Quickly the music fades as first violins muse over the meandering figuration that accompanies the main theme with shifting accents on the top notes of falling couplets against the Nietzsche rhythm in cellos. One senses that a sudden realization of mortality has shattered the yearning for relief from suffering that had suddenly burst out with heartfelt emotion. Let's hear the second strophe. Cello's strong pizzicato D minor chord gives a sudden twinge 
that calls our attention to the opening of the development section. The main tempo now returns and violas play the undulating Nietzsche rhythm. The development begins with the third strophe on the words Mein Herz ist müde, sung to a phrase that ends with the falling second of woe and will return for the last words of this song and in the finale. This phrase connects with the nature motive from part two of the Eighth Symphony, indicating how far it is between the sublime otherworldliness of that earlier work and the melancholy despair of the Herbst movement. Cellos enter on a quarter-note triplet version of the Nietzsche rhythm, and violins follow with a long ascending scale, sung earlier to the words vom Kaif besogen stele allegresse, Bassoons continue in contrary motion, extended by an oboe into the main theme, begun by flutes and passed to clarinets and then back to flutes. When accompanied by the Nietzsche rhythm, the theme recalls the movement from which that rhythm came. Only 24 measures in length, this brief development section begins with countervailing scales from the main theme. When the tonality changes to an unexpectedly bright D major, the singer expresses her deep feeling of ennui with a new thematic phrase consisting of inverted versions of the motives of longing and der Tageschern, with the motive of farewell added at the end of the first line. In a moving dialogue between voice and violins, the latter answer the former with the inverted longing phrase. The downward pull of this phrase again suggests a feeling of resignation, as the singer begs for rest from the wearisome and pointless struggles of life. The last words of this strophe, Ich habe Erkthickung not, are sung to the longing motive in its principal form, except that its final plunge by an augmented fifth to a dissonant low B-flat leaves no doubt that the singer longs not for life but for death. Second violins repeat this sympathetic phrase for emphasis, and violas extend the descending line on swells that underline the pathos of this strophe. With this expression of utter hopelessness, the development section ends. Here is the entire development section with the third strophe included.
The recapitulation begins as a reprise of the opening section, with a bassoon instead of an oboe playing the plaintive principal theme. When the theme passes back to the oboe, the last note of its three-note cell in the fourth measure is flattened and played with a shuddering emphasis that makes the theme sound mournful. For the fourth strophe, the singer begins with a new diatonic melody consisting of two upward-arching phrases, the second being longer than the first, with its top note lingering on the first syllable of Einsamkeiten, loneliness. After the flute picks up the main theme briefly, the tempo increases for the reprise of the B section. Against a descending chromatic line in second violins and violas, the cellos invert the three-note cell, stretching the interval between its last two notes to an augmented fifth. On the last of these three notes, the singer enters and with deep emotion confesses her inability to endure the autumn in my heart on a series of falling phrases that rise sequentially until they end at the highest point with the falling minor second of woe. In an impassioned expression of life's unbearable emptiness, imbued with autumnal gloom, the singer seems to plead for an end to it all. As she sings her pitiful words, a crescendo builds on the inverted and stretched three-note cell now in woodwinds, accompanied by a rising chromatic phrase played in upper strings. Suddenly, in mid-measure, the orchestra bursts out with a huge E-flat chord, embellished with harp and string arpeggios, recalling the one bright spot in the trinklead and the glorious conclusion of the Eighth Symphony. This sudden flash of E-flat illuminates a vision that could dispel the darkness of solitude. Although it quickly fades, it has a profound effect upon the singer. As if given newfound enlightenment, she calls to the source of this luminous vision, Sona de Liba, Son of Love, recalling the first song of Kindertotenlieder. Might there still be a hope of relief from her suffering? As in the eighth, light joins with love as a remedial agent. The music to which the soloist sings these words contains the motive Der Tagish Churn, anticipated earlier by violins at the end of the second strophe. In the midst of consummate loneliness, the singer craves the one thing without which she cannot endure, the light of love that shone so brilliantly at the end of the Eighth Symphony. Her plea becomes more impassioned as the vocal line rises, but she receives a negative answer implicit in the inverted version of longing that sounds a note of tragedy in its descending chromatic line. As the music presses forward to a climax, hopelessness seems irremediable. The soloist responds bitterly on longing, to which is added the sorrowful tones of farewell. A distorted falling version of the three-note cell sung earlier to the words give me rue, give me rest, is repeated in rapid succession, each repetition played at a lower position in the violins until it ends in the violas. Here is the recapitulation and the beginning of the fourth strophe.
As the brief flood of emotion tapers off, the coda begins with the same accented pizzicato chord in the cellos that opened the second strophe. The main tempo returns as the singer broods over the final line of text, Milt auf zu trocknen, to the same phrase to which he sang the words Mein Herst ist müde at the beginning of the development. A gently rocking motion of the Nietzschean triplet rhythm in the cellos lulls the singer to final rest. A rising scalar phrase in second violins and violas, contrasted with a falling line in the bassoons, usher in the return of the main theme. Here it is accompanied as before by meandering violin figuration. The flatted A in the fourth measure of the theme is retained and sounds here like a pronouncement of doom. Horns and bassoons echo the oboe on the original version of the three-note cell from the theme in dotted rhythm. A clarinet quietly plays the same figure in its deepest register, sinking to a low concert F held over the last farewell in violins. It falls to low A. The music reaches a final cadence on a D minor chord in a gradual descent during which each note of the chord is added in sequence. Sinking into the depths of despondency, the final chord slowly dies away into nothingness. <laughs> 